Let's turn to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 1. We'll stay pretty much right here in the book of Micah for the next uh, few minutes. So I hope you'll join me there in your Bible or your uh, tablet or whatever it is you're using this morning to look at the Bible with us. Hopefully there's one close by. If you didn't have one of your own, you can pull one from the back of the pew in front of you. I hope. I got, I'm curious. I'm, in fact, I'm going to ask, I don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask for a show of hands about something. If you don't mind doing this, it's not going to embarrass anybody. Uh, how many of you were raised, this is a little bit ambiguous, but just, just answer it for, for, for my curiosity. How many of you were raised in the Birmingham metropolitan area? Hands high. Okay. Okay. How many of you, um, others of you, how many of you were raised in another city, metropolitan area, let's say 300,000 or more, not Birmingham? Okay. 15, 20 of you, maybe. How many of you were raised in a small town? Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I'm, I'm curious. I, 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 didn't, I didn't really know. I, I should have raised my hand. I was raised in a small town. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, we're, we're in the, the numbers I gave you earlier, 1,151,609, I think was the number as of 2017. No, that was 2018. In the Birmingham, Hoover, metropolitan statistical area. So many people live in, in our area. 650,000 or so in Jefferson County. Uh, the 49th, uh, as far as the Birmingham Hoover Metropolitan Statistical Area, 49th biggest in the nation, in case you're wondering. Uh, I guess that seems about right, 49th. Uh, not as big as Atlanta, not nearly as big as Atlanta, not as big as uh, Nashville um, or Memphis. But, but pretty, pretty big for the state of Alabama, you know. Uh, we moved here... When I was growing up, I was, I was born in small town, Alabama. My dad worked for the phone company. I've told you guys the story before. Dad worked for Bell South, and uh, we moved around quite a bit. He, he, he was in management. We moved around. Uh, he, he, he got transferred to Birmingham when I was a teenager, and we lived in Pell City. Dad worked here in Birmingham. That didn't last very long. He got transferred to Huntsville, and we moved there. And then he got transferred. No, no, I got that backward. Huntsville to Birmingham, and then he got transferred from Birmingham to Memphis. And we, we always lived in a small town outside of the city, wherever he was working. And so uh, it's, it's kind of, you know, I was thinking about this and thinking, preparing this sermon. Um, I like living in Birmingham area. I, I like it. I, a lot of times when I'm invited to preach somewhere else, you know, I go preach in a small town. And there are things I like about small town. I was in Double Springs a couple weeks ago for, for a gospel meeting, you know, for a week or so. And um, there are pretty, pretty neat things about places like Double Springs. You, you guys have been to Double Springs. Some of you have. Small town. In the foyer, every night of the gospel meeting, there was, there was a whole garden of vegetables. It was pretty cool. There were squash, and there were cucumbers, and okra, and, and um, everybody was just like, take, take whatever you want, just, just take it home with you. So, so it was pretty cool. You know, there, there are things, neat things about small towns. Uh, people know people. That's good, and can be bad. People know, people know your business in a small town, right? So they're pretty neat things about growing up in a small town. That's, that's kind of, those are my people. I know, I know, I know small town folks because 
That's where I come from. That's where I think, if I'm kind of accurately gauging your raising hands a minute ago, then that's probably the, the majority of folks in this room right now. We're small town folks living in a fairly good sized metropolitan area now, the biggest in the state of Alabama, of course. Good things about living in a place like this. I like the convenience. I like the fact that we got some pretty good restaurants. And Birmingham has quite a few good restaurants these days, and it's getting better. Um, I like the Birmingham Comprehensive Plan. You've read about that, perhaps, which is a revitalization of certain parts of Birmingham. You can go to Uptown now. Uh, it's been revitalized. You can go to places in the South Side, and there are good restaurants and good places, you know. So it's pretty cool. I like the convenience of living in an area. It's not too big. We don't have the traffic of Atlanta or even the traffic of Nashville, and yet we've got a lot of the conveniences. It's got good medical care, right? UAB, one of the best places you can go. So there are pretty neat things about living in Jefferson County or Shelby County within this uh, metropolitan area. Some negative things about living in a big city. Um, some of, sometimes I think people come to a big city to escape. Uh, many, many people, when I'm, when I'm speaking in other places as well, especially small towns, you know, on a Wednesday night or a gospel meeting, do a, do a lot of those during the summer, you know, inevitably, I mean, more often than not, I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but almost every time I speak somewhere, especially in the state of Alabama, I will have somebody who will come up to me and, and they'll say, uh, my, uh, my son lives in Birmingham, or my daughter lives in Birmingham, or my, my, uh, my sibling lives in Birmingham, Hoover, in Jefferson County somewhere, went to, went to college, and after college they didn't come back to the small town, all right, this, this happens a lot. Don't, they don't come back to the small town. There are exceptions to this. They don't come back to the small town. They move to Birmingham. They move to Nashville. They move to Atlanta. They move to Memphis. They move to wherever, you know. So there's a, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, um, kids grow up. They go to high school. They, they get out of high school. And, man, they're like, I'm done with this small town. I'm, I'm going away to college. And, and, then, and then they move where the job is, you know. And usually, well, often the job is in a populated part of the country. I'll say all that by way of introduction to get us to Micah. Micah was from a small town called Morsheth. He's a small town boy. In fact, a lot of the prophets were. A lot, a lot of the prophets, a lot of these preachers were from small towns. And yet God sent Micah to the city. He sent him to, he sent him to Samaria and he sent him to Jerusalem. And in fact, I'd like for you to look in your Bible and we're going to look at really three, three verses, three sections, but they're introduced by verses. Of course, Micah... 1 is the first one. Michael 1, after he introduces, after God introduces the preacher to the folks and sets the chronological time frame who was reigning at the time, then he says in verse 2 of Michael 1, Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Jeff read these three verses a few minutes ago, and this is the first of three, actually, where God comes to the cities. That's interesting. You had this emphasis in Micah. He comes to the cities because it is from the cities often where philosophies kind of, they're, they're, um, they're planted, they're nurtured, they, they grow up in the, in the seedbed of the city, of the, of the population center where people come and they're often their educational centers, their universities. There are medical facilities. People come because they get the best health care. They come because they get the best education. And so they go to the Samaria. They go to the Jerusalem. They come to the Birmingham, the Nashville, the Atlanta. They, they, they go from the small town to the city. 
And it's often there where ideas germinate and they end up having a lot of influence and then they filter out. This is the way it works. Our, our, our country in the last, man, I don't know what the time would be, certainly in the last hundred years, probably more than that, in the last hundred years, America has gone from being a largely agrarian society to one that's, that's uh, organized more centrally around population centers and cities. You know, as we become less agrarian and more city-focused, more people have moved to the city and away from the country. You know, you got more people living in cities now than you do living in the agrarian kind of areas. And that's, that's the way that societies have gone in the, in the Western world especially, not just the Western world, the non-Western world too, in the last uh, couple hundred years especially, you know. So what happens in those cities? You've got people who come and they, they're in this concentrated area. They're in these areas where they can share ideas. It's kind of like the ancient city of Athens. People came from all over the place and they came to Mars Hill. They came to Areopagus and they sat there and they talked about ideas and they flourished. And then people went out from the city and so the ideas kind of disseminate from there. And so it's interesting. When the Bible talks about doing ministry, it often goes to the city. How did Paul do his uh, ministry work? Do you remember in the book of Acts? Apostle Paul was from Tarsus, which was a pretty important city. He was uh, educated in a pretty uh, significant kind of educational environment, a student of Gamaliel, one of the Jewish rabbis of his day. But once God called him to the ministry, called him to be an apostle, you remember how Paul spent his time, right? Started at Antioch, and he went from Antioch, and he went from city to city to city. Why do you think Paul did that? Because Paul knew if he could establish a local congregation of believers in the city, then it would filter out into the remote areas. And that's the way he'd spend his time. I mean, you can trace his ministry from Corinth. People came from all over to be in Corinth. From Corinth to Ephesus to Philippi, which is an important city. And ultimately, of course, he spent time in Rome which was the most important city in the ancient world. Why did he do that? Because he knew that that is where people come and that is where people leave. They visit, they go home, they come back, they settle, and then after a while maybe they'll move away. And so if he can get the gospel there. I say that to us as a church just to remind us we have a great opportunity where we are. We're in a good part of the world. We're in a good part of the state. We're in a good part of the city. You know, we've got this opportunity here to reach out and to make a difference in, uh, in, in, the, in the biggest area in the state of Alabama for us to do gospel work here. And I hope that, like, as we try to do some faith in action kind of things, that one of the emphases of those has been to try to get our, our, our people and our message and our, our kindness and our love and the grace of God to permeate out from where we are into the city so that God's name might be seen and heard and God's nature to be felt and experienced by people in the city because that's what we need to be doing. We need to be a church in the city that makes a difference in the city, right? That's why we're here. We're not here to be insulated. We're not here to, to just to buckle down in, in our kind of huddle up in our little holy huddle and, and do our thing and, and make sure that we got everything right or try to get everything right. We're here so that we might be in a city where the name of Christ might resonate throughout our area and beyond our state, right? That's why we're here. Now, in Micah, there are, th there are three movements in Micah's prophecy, and they're all introduced by the word here, H-E-A-R. And the first one's found in Micah 1-2. I read this in 
a second ago. And this one's characterized by judgment. There are going to be three. I'm going to give you three words. The first is judgment because this is all over the prophets. You can read on through Micah 1 and Micah 2 and you'll find a lot of this. The language here is emphatic. Micah 1 uh, verse 2 here. Listen, listen, pay attention, O earth. God is speaking from his holy temple. Verse 3, he's coming out of his place. He will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will be split open. This is not good news, by the way. Uh, not here. It's not good news. Like the, the, the valleys are going to split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob. Now look at verse 5. This part I wanted you to notice. Again, the emphasis on the city here. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, that's the capital city of the north. And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? You see what Micah's saying, what God is saying through Micah? He's saying the sins of the two nations, the sins of Israel and the sins of Judah, kind of are are distilled into the two cities. The sins of the nation of Israel, well, you see them most clearly in Samaria. The sins of the nation of Judah, you see them most clearly in the city of Jerusalem. And I think it would be true as well. The sins of the nation of America, again, I'm not suggesting a one-to-one correspondence that Birmingham corresponds to Jerusalem. I'm not suggesting that. Only that maybe there are principles here. But isn't it interesting that the sins of America... If you want to just get a taste of, of the worst kind of thing that America has to offer, you're going to, go to you're going to find your way to a city. You're going to find your way to a city. Because the sins of a nation are seen most clearly in those population centers. But it is also true that if you want to get righteousness in a state, if you want to get righteousness in a nation, where do you need to go or where can you go to have a lot of influence? you can go to those population centers because just as sin radiates out from a city, so does righteousness. And I think it's a great opportunity for us at this location. We have people who are moving to Birmingham to, uh, obviously we have a lot of folks who move here after undergraduate to go to professional school, one of the health fields perhaps, or perhaps to go to law school, so some sort of professional school. We have people who move from different places. Birmingham is is beginning, beginning to be more competitive as far as some of our college graduates rather than going to Nashville or to Atlanta. That segment of the population of Alabama is growing as our city has done some things to reach out to people who are graduating from Alabama and Auburn. Instead of their moving away to Atlanta or Nashville, they're coming here. So this is a great opportunity for us as a church just to think about what can we do so that Birmingham isn't the epicenter of transgression and rebellion, but rather in some small way, Birmingham can be the epicenter of good and mercy and truth and righteousness, right? So here, he's talking about judgment, though. He said it's, it's centered here. We want to change that. As uh, God put us here, I think, to make a difference in our area and not just to be insulated Not just to talk about how bad the world is and how much it deserves to be judged, but rather for us to see opportunities where the gospel might find a foothold in places like this and we can have people who come in here, maybe they only come in here for for four years while they're in uh, dental school or medical school or seven years while they're in in school and in residency or or while they're going to pharmacy school or optometry school or whatever it is, some sort of professional school, maybe they're coming here for undergraduate. We only get them here for, for four to five years but then we can maybe make a difference in people's lives then as they move away. 
And that can be an opportunity for God's people to do some work here that spreads out beyond just our area. But Micah's talking to the people, first of all, about judgment. Turn over a couple of chapters, though, and this is true throughout the prophets. Turn over to Micah 3 and look at verse 1. You get the second here, H-E-A-R, in the book of Micah, the word blessings. This is what God wants to do. There's a lot of judgment in, in the prophets. And as we read through, uh, well, Isaiah, reading through Isaiah some now in our reading, read through Micah, we're going to read through a lot of the minor prophets, all the minor prophets. <coughs> You're going to notice a pattern here. So I, I hope that you'll notice this and you'll be a, pay attention to it. There's an emphasis on judgment in every one of the prophets. Judgment, judgment, judgment against rebellion, against people who aren't doing what they were called to do, what they were commanded to do. But... In every one of these books, you're going to hear this message of blessing. This is what God wants to do and what He will do. This is what ultimately defines God. God is a God who judges, but more than that, God is a God who blesses. Micah 3.1 And I said, Hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? There's that emphasis again. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off the people and their flesh from their bones. Sounds quite negative, doesn't it? But you skip on down to this and go to the next chapter, Micah 4. In this same sermon that starts with a hint of judgment in Micah 4, these words might sound familiar to you. Verse 1, It shall come to pass on the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and many shall, uh, people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us of his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you see this? God's judgment is pouring down on Jerusalem. But Micah sees a day when the blessings of God are going to emanate from the city of Jerusalem. And if I may tease out just a principle here for Birmingham and Hoover, and it might be that in some ways, maybe our city has spread some things outside of our area that aren't good. We have a history of, uh, that, that we're not proud of, a history of, of acts of racism. We have a, a history that's been characterized by violence. But maybe with the influence of God's people over time, that is changing. And that instead of being the epicenter of things that are negative, we can become a group of people from our city goes out a message of hope, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying he's talking about Birmingham here. I think what he's talking about is he's looking ahead to the time of Jesus when Jesus, the message of Christ, would go out from the city of Jerusalem. In Micah's day, the city of Jerusalem was characterized by rebellion, but there's coming a day when Jesus would die on a tree outside of the wall of Jerusalem, and a few days later, the gospel message would begin to be preached from that same city, which in Micah's day was full of rebellion. In Jesus' day, in the apostles' day, it would be the epicenter of the message of redemption. So there's this blessing, there's this trajectory of hope. Bill referred to this in his thoughts prior to communion, Micah 5 and verse 2. Just these, it's, good, it's important to pick up on this because you can get discouraged when you read the prophets. Man, it's all negative, it's all negative. Well, there is some negative stuff. But remember, in the midst of the negative, there is great hope. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days, and is built 
alluded to, as he said earlier, that is a reference to the coming Christ. In fact, in the New Testament, they knew, in the day of Jesus, they knew about that prophecy. And they knew that something was going to happen in Bethlehem. They knew that something in that small town of that small village of Bethlehem, there was going to be a big deal. They weren't completely sure about exactly what that was going to look like. But, of course, we know now that's why they did the census. And that's why Joseph and Mary ended up in the little village of Bethlehem. Micah had talked about it 700 years earlier. There's judgment, but in the midst of the judgment, God brings about blessing. That's what God has always done. That's the story here. Yes, there's judgment against rebellion, but more than that, there is blessing that God wants to extend. One more is in Micah 6. I've preached on this text a couple of times at Hoover over the years, Micah 6. So I'm not going to preach that sermon again, but I do want you to just hear the third one. Micah 6, verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. The third word is repentance. Repentance. In Micah's day, their rebellion against God was characterized by primarily two things. One, idolatry. They were worshiping something besides God. And number two, covetousness. They were consumed by consumption, by acquisition. They were obsessed with money and the accumulation thereof. And so in their day, especially in this third sermon of Micah, Micah is preaching to them about idolatry and about distraction. And here in chapter 6 he says, he puts words in their mouths, which apparently was consistent with the way they were living. They were wanting to exchange their worship for poor living. So they said, hey, hey why, don't we, why don't we offer, what, you know, what do you want from us, God? We'll offer the right sacrifices. We'll offer the blood sacrifices. We'll do, we'll burn the incense. We'll, you know, we'll do the libations. We'll do whatever you want, whatever you want. We'll come to the temple. We'll, we'll offer all the right sacrifices. And what Micah comes back, speaking for God, what Micah comes back to them and says, this is not what he wants. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants you to treat people right. He wants you to stop worshiping idols. He wants you to have an honest scale at the marketplace. He wants you to take care of the widows and the fatherless. He wants you to take care of the poor. He wants you to look out here at the people who are on the margins of society for whatever reason. He wants you to minister to them. Do all that before you bring up a calf of the year old, of one year old, you know, a lamb without blemish. Before you do all, before you do all the sacrificing, make sure you're paying attention to treating people well. That's Micah 6, 8. He's told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, do justice, do right. Do right. Be men and women of integrity. Love kindness. Treat people mercifully and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. Famous, most famous verse in the book of Micah is right there, Micah 6, 8. See what he's getting at? He comes to the city of Samaria. He comes to the city of Jerusalem, primarily the city of Jerusalem. And he says, you have the potential to change the course of the nation of Judah. The city does. But you've got to repent. You've got to repent. My thesis or gist of what I want you to remember from this is to remember... We have the power, not ours, but it's God's power working through congregations like us in a metropolitan area to make a difference. I know we're not that many. We're 350 people compared to 1.1 million. And you can say, well, what in the world can 350 people do? 
in a metropolitan area of above a million. I would suggest to you that God has always used a small number of people to do pretty big things. In fact, isn't it the case that God has always used that which seemed to be outnumbered to do the most good? Isn't that kind of like God's MO? Isn't that how He's worked? He takes groups of people like us who are committed to making a difference in the city, to seeking to use the words of Jeremiah, to, to seek the welfare of the city. We can do that as a church. The cities of Samaria, the city of Jerusalem, the cities of Birmingham and Hoover, for us to take seriously our commission to be God's hands and God's feet and God's mouth to speak words of restoration and repentance and hope and grace. That's what you read in, in the prophets. There's judgment, but there's blessing. There's blessing in conjunction with people who say, Lord, we have made a mess of it. And, and, and that ought to start with a church, really. It's got to start with a church. It starts when a church is ready to say, Lord, we have, we have let you down. We have committed sins. We have hurt people. We have neglected opportunities. We have been, uh, we've closed our ears to the cries of the needy. We have neglected opportunities to do good. And that's repentance starts with us. But God will do, always has, and will continue to do amazing things through people who fall down at the throne of God on their knees and say, Lord, we have sinned against you, but help us to do your will. In our context, help us to do your will in the city, in this area, so that God's name might be heard, not only here, but through us and through our city throughout the world. I believe that that can be true. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, I believe God brought you here for a reason. Uh, I believe He brought you here so that you might hear a word from us, from this church, from Him, ultimately. A word of hope, a word of judgment, a word of repentance. And I hope that if you're here this morning and, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that maybe God has convicted you, He's touched your heart, and you recognize your need to repent, your need to come to Him and say, Lord, I've made a mess of things, but I want to I come to you. We would love to help you in your obedience to Him. You have made a mess of it, so have we. But the thing about it is, God extends blessings to people who acknowledge it. And so if you acknowledge it this morning, you come to faith in Christ Believing that He is the Son of God, turning away from sin and penitence, just saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want to live that life anymore, and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, all your, all your sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you can be one through whom God accomplishes His will in you and your sphere of influence. We invite you to come to Jesus Christ this morning. We invite you to come back to Him today if you've already obeyed the gospel, but your life has not been consistent with that confession we're going to stand and sing, and I hope if you need to respond, you'll do that now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.